Today I have the privilege of beginning a new teaching series that we're simply calling One Thing. We're simply calling it One Thing. And I got this idea from a friend of mine, Pastor Josh, who pastors the Vineyard Church in Houston. Josh reached out to me a couple months ago. He said, hey, do you know, would you and Shannon come down and, and preach on Sunday morning? I said, great. What's my teaching assignment? That's my main question. What's my teaching assignment? And he said, you'll be teaching in our One Thing series. I said, One Thing, that sounds interesting. Tell me more. He says, you know, I want you to tell the story, the God story that's woven into your story. What is the thread of hope and truth that runs through your life? with God? What's the one thing you know to be true about God, that one thing that connects all the seemingly disconnected pieces of your story? How does that one thing play itself out in the day-to-day -day of your living? How does it impact the way you experience and see yourself, the world, and others? And I said, man, that's a good series. I'm eager to preach in that series, but not only that, Josh, I'm just letting you know I'm stealing that. And I'm bringing that home, and I may or may not attribute the idea to you. And here we are today, starting this brand new series. As we hear from different voices over the next month, I thought it'd be helpful and interesting if person after person got up and talked to you about the one thing, this sort of thread of truth that runs through their life with God. And as I consider what I might kick the series off with, I, sometimes to ask a preacher to talk about just one thing is like cruel almost. And so as I turned it over in my mind as to what, it might be different in a month. If you ask me a month or two months from now, it might be different. But today, the thought that keeps coming back to me over and over is this thought, I love the church. I love the church. With all of her issues and all of her warts, and all the ways that she's found herself on the wrong side of history, throughout history, all the baggage and all the thises and thats, I love the church. You should believe me when I say my earliest memories involve the church. In fact, I have a picture right here of myself and some of my sisters. You said, has he always been fly? Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> My earliest memories include the church, and I don't know how old I am, but I'm just a young guy. I'm actually standing in front of my twin sister, who's much taller than me, Ruby, and we're out in front of the very first church I ever went to, and that's the Old Ship of Zion Missionary Baptist Church. It was a stone's throw from our house on the south side and my earliest memories involved church at the Old Ship of Zion Missionary Baptist Church where Pastor E.E. E. Barnes was the right reverend there. And I have these vivid memories of the deacons opening the service singing Dr. Watts. Any, any, any Baptist in the house? Dr. Watts, I love the Lord, he heard my cry. And the deacons never quite, they never had good voices, did they? But there was something about that song and how they would open the service. And our friend would get on the organ and get the pastor all tuned up and we'd have a good time. My earliest memories are in the church. 
But within those early, none of those early memories, though, include my father, though. And when I would inquire to my mother as to why my father never stepped one toenail into that Baptist church, my mother informed me that my dad hadn't quite come to faith yet. He was still figuring it out, still getting high and still running the streets until one night, one Saturday night, where he had gotten himself loaded. And as was his custom on Saturday night, after he'd gotten himself high, he would watch preaching on the television. Specifically, he'd watch the Liberty Hour, the Pastor Clifford Turner, and some of you are familiar with Liberty Temple Full Gospel Church. If you've ever heard of the show, The Awakening, uh, that was the Liberty Temple Full Gospel Church. And my father, as high as a kite, as he would put it, was watching TV, and wouldn't you know it, the grace of God reached to him through the television. As high as he was, he gave his life to Jesus through the television. And so what you might think is he would walk the three blocks now to the old Shepherd Zion Missionary Baptist Church with us. No, he wanted to go to church where Clifford Turner was because that's where he gotten saved. And it just so happened that the Liberty uh, Temple Full Gospel Church was way on the other side of town and we didn't have a car. So the seven of us would take two buses and a train to Liberty Temple Full Gospel Church. And wouldn't you know it, that the trajectory, not just of my father's life, when he got serious about faith and start going to church changed, but all of our, our family's trajectory changed because my father got saved and would cart us all the way across town to go to that church. And I have fond memories, well, mostly fond memories, because there was no children's church and we had to sit right in there. I didn't understand three-fourths of what was being said. Mom, what's fornication? What's that? I said, boy, be quiet. <laughs> so I would try to keep myself from falling asleep. I would be unsuccessful, and my father would make me stand up. Not over in the corner, but right where I fell asleep at, I would have to stand right up in the pew. I have some unpleasant memories as well, but I remember the preaching and the singing, and how kind those people were to us. I remember at least one time, probably two, the pastor learned that we were traveling from way on the other side of town, and he stood up in front of the congregation one day, he said, Gene and Rhonda, the Allisons, they need a car. He said, who's gonna help me get them a car? And so he pulls out his billfold, breaks off a few bills, throws it in there. He said, I'm gonna start it off, who's gonna help me? And one by one, people would file out of their seats, one after the other, and they would fill those baskets with money. And the very next day, we would go and get our car. I'm being spiritually formed in this place. I'd sit there as a youngster, mesmerized as I would watch the drummer, and then the guitar player, and then the keyboard player. I'm being spiritually formed in this place. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I'm just a little guy, but something was happening in those churches. Well, they would change locations, and the church would get much larger, and eventually my parents, Gene and Rhonda Allison, were sent out to start their own church, 
Hope of Glory Full Gospel Church on the south side, just three blocks from our house in the YMCA. And so on Tuesday nights, we get our family together and meet in the old Morris room of the YMCA that was or wasn't set up properly, depending on the day. But this is my life. I had to be about eight or nine years old, and I would take the boom box that we would use to play the songs for worship. And we'd use that same boom box to hit record so that we were recording the messages and I would have to make tapes for anybody who would want a copy of the sermon. And this went on and on and on as that church grew. Fast forward to 1999, I graduate from high school, moved two hours, two and a half hours south to go to the University of Illinois. And wouldn't you know it, I was in need of a church. And I pondered this notion that maybe I could sort of catch up on all the stuff I missed out on as a sheltered church boy from the south side of Chicago. But literally, all I knew, all I knew was church. The faint idea of trying to go at it alone because of God's grace toward me, it frightened me a bit. And so I engaged a campus ministry, and it just so happened that campus ministry was going to this church, Twin City Bible Church, just right across the street from our dorm. So it wasn't like I did this really cool church search. And, no, it was right across the street, and all the people from, from my Christian fellowship was going there, and Pastor Bill and Cindy Meyer would open the scriptures. Wasn't what I was looking for. It was nothing like the churches I had been to at home, the black churches. These were almost exclusively white churches. And yet, the Lord met me at the Twin City Bible Church. A year or so, a friend of mine from university said, Gino, come and check out the vineyard. I think you might like it. And I walked into the vineyard in 2001, and I've been in the vineyard ever since because the Lord had their waiting for me people who would receive me. Now, if you know my story, there's a tremendous culture shock when I was in Urbana, super white church, I'm trying to figure things out, but all throughout that, there was this undercurrent of love and a radical kingdom welcome that sustained me when I found myself hours from home, hours from everything that I knew as it related to faith community. The pastors there would welcome me. They would give me and make space for me to use my gifts. They would allow me to lead small groups and learn instruments and figure out how to preach. And before long, my wife and I, who I had talked over to come into the venue because I wasn't going to her church, <laughs> we were commissioned by God to move with a team of 11 other people, 13 people total, to the south suburbs of Chicago to start the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And for the last 13 years, We've seen this beautiful community come alive, and though we lead it, the Lord has been faithful to meet our needs and to meet us here as we press in to the local church. Say, preacher, what's your point? As we sing that song, Goodness of God, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so good, for with every breath I, that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Some of you, if you're like me, Things come to mind. People come to mind that have been faithful conveyors of God's goodness and God's care and his concern and his great love for you. And I can barely contain myself to say that those conveyors of God's goodness, 
those containers of God's love and care for me all throughout my life, I found most of that in the church. I found most of that among the faithful people of God who had no agenda other than to love me, no agenda other than to see God's fullness be shown in my life. All my life, he's been faithful. All my life, he's been good. And for that and many more reasons, I stand and say, with quivering voice, I love the church. And so if you have to press me about my one thing, my one thing would be this. The local church is essential. I'm talking about for spiritual flourish. I'm talking about for the Christian life, the good life that God had in mind. Can I say this with confidence, and I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this, that I don't know a single Christian that is flourishing outside of a meaningful connection to the local church. I'll say it again. I don't know a single Christian that is flourishing that is lacking a connection to a church. And so I say with conviction, the local church is essential. That's the thread of truth that connects God's story with mine. And I wanna explore that today. And of course, when I say the local church, I mean a healthy church, a Christ-centered church, not one that's centered on personalities and all sorts of silliness, a church that's on mission. That's the kind of local church that I'm talking about. And so much of what God has for you and me. So much of what God wants to fix in you and me and that which is broken in the world around us. He could do it a million different ways, but he chooses to do it through the vehicle of what? The local church. The church, interestingly, is this sort of one-stop shop for so much good stuff. It's like the spiritual Walmart, right? And so you can go to a whole bunch of different stores that specialize in this and specialize in this, but you can go to Walmart and you can get grapes, you can get some toilet paper, you can go and get a screwdriver, you can go get a TV, you can pick up a tire, get some keys made, and you can get a parrot (laughs) in the same store. And so when I think of the great utility knife that the local church is, the, super, the spiritual superstore where God has put so much goodness here for you and me, it's just a remarkable thing. And my life has been marked with it. And so we find at least three things in a healthy Christian community, a local church that I want to tease out, things that are essential for spiritual flourishing, and I want to tick them off this morning. I'm gonna give them to you in advance so you know what's coming. The three things is that you find purpose, you discover community, and you gain perspective. You find purpose, you you discover community, and you gain perspective. Those are the things that I wanna unpack. Before I do that, let me just pray. Lord, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for trusting me with these beautiful people. I thank you, Lord, for what you wanna do this morning. I thank you for what you're already doing. And as we gather here today, Father, we ask that you would meet us in only the way that you can. Father, you know that all kinds of chaos and trouble rages in the world around us. It's the city of Memphis, reels 
from the death of Brother Tyree Nichols. Asian community in California from the tragic mass shooting event and so many more. Lord, those things are far from our thoughts and our mind. Although we know that you are using the church as first responders of sorts. And so, Lord, would we be counted in that number of those you would dispatch to be your hands and feet. Teach us this morning. Put power on these words you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So three things, I want to take them off one at a time. The first is that in a healthy local church, you find purpose. It's one of the reasons why it's essential. It's one of the reasons why you need it. And I don't think we can really overstate this point. Because when I say purpose, that is to answer the questions, why am I here on earth? Why was I created? Why was I made? And to answer the question, what what am I here for? And so I believe that the scriptures answer this question for us quite solidly in a couple different places. But the one I'm drawn to as it relates to purpose is Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. The guy approaches Jesus and asks a question. He says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, if you've hung around here for any length of time, you know, like, this is our slogan, right? I'm, I'm looking at some of you, you're wearing your SSV merch, and, and right on the shirt, it says, love God, love people, live it out. You say, oh, that's catchy. It's not just catchy. It's true. It's not just true. It's what we were created to do. We'll get to the specifics in a minute, but generally speaking, if you ask yourself, why am I here? Why was I created? It boils down to two things, to love God and to love people. To fully understand this is to come to understand your purpose and why you're here. Generally speaking, you're here to love God and love people, to serve God and to serve others, to be a blessing to God and to be a blessing to other people and to use your gifts and talents to be the answer to what ails the world. Love God, love people. These are the two load-bearing pillars upon which our faith is built. These are the two load-bearing pillars that we are to build our life of faith on, and these should be the two load-bearing pillars by which we build the church on, because this is why we're here, to aim our whole self, somebody say your whole self, at loving God and loving people, generally speaking. But as you press deeper into finding purpose, you want to know, why am I... Why why have I specifically been created? I know I'm supposed to love God and love people. I know that every decision of my life is supposed to be filtered through. Does this show love for God or others? And I tell you, half the stuff that you want to do, maybe three-fourths, depending on who you are, gets disqualified if you filter it through the sieve of, does, does this honor God 
Does this honor people? But specifically, what am I supposed to put my hands toward? What am I supposed to use these gifts and talents for? And this is where the church, for me, is drawn into sharp, sharp focus because so much of who I am today has been cultivated and teased out and discovered in the church. You didn't know you were a leader until somebody said, hey, you want to co-lead this small group with me? You didn't know you were a worship person or that your heart would eventually come to beat for worship until somebody walked past you and said, hey, you've got a good voice. Now, if nobody walked past you and said, you've got a good voice, I'm sure you do other things well. <laughs> but I'm telling you, everything I do now, in and outside of this church, because somebody in a context of Christian community said to me, hey, have you ever considered that the Lord might be using you for this? I tell you, as a young boy, I'm sitting there watching these musicians play, and I thought, maybe, maybe, maybe I could do that. And I got two pins out of my mom's purse, and I'm trying to mimic the drummer. And what I didn't know was that a musical awakening was happening, and God was forming something, and he was putting his finger on some type of gift. I would see the old preachers preach, and Pastor Turner, he had, you know, he had it bald right here and the hair around here, and he would wipe just the center of his head. And when I get home, I'd stand on my bed and I'd be preaching, and I'd wipe the center of my head. And now look at me. And I saw that maybe, maybe that's me. A couple years ago, uh, Ramon, who was the student ministry coordinator, he, he got the students to serving around the church. You saw some of the students serving. If you look in the booth right now, there's uh, students back there. I thought that was genius. Because what's awakening in them is it's maybe God's called me to do this. Maybe God's leading me this way. And so much of that purpose would be awakened here in the church. Hospitality gives, serving our kids and students, serving on tech, generosity, right? Or maybe your thing isn't having some significant position in the church or role in the church. Maybe you were just awakened to the fact that you were called to be planted in the marketplace or in the classroom as a teacher or in some sort of police force as one of our officers we have here or some other civil servant, maybe in the field of medicine and health and fitness, cosmetology or somewhere in the private sector that God needed you to be his fragrant presence or you work and play and go to school. So much of that would be cultivated and called out in the confines of Christian community. You would find purpose. And this is my story. This is my story. I love this quote from Michelangelo. He says, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved it until I set him free. Michelangelo is sculptor. That is to say, he saw this block of marble. What everybody else saw was a block of marble. He saw an angel in there and he chiseled at it until the angel came out. And I am what I am today because somebody loved me, because somebody attended to me, 
because somebody saw something in me that I couldn't see, and like Michelangelo, with the marble, they chiseled away, they chiseled away, and out came, whether you like it or not, what you see in front of you today. And I haven't found a better place other than the local church where you find purpose generally, love God, love people, and you can have somebody call out those gifts. Nothing like the local church. The second thing is that you discover community. And when I say community, I mean Christian community, a community that uniquely centers Christ. Suffice it to say, there is nothing in the world like it. There's nothing in the world like it. Christian community is when you walk into a church and you go, oh, I found my people. And some of y'all are here because you live across the street. You're like, well, this makes sense. <laughs> Others of you are here because you walked in and it didn't take you long to discover that you had what? You found your people. Some of you took you a couple of weeks. Some of you took you a couple of months. Some of you a couple of years. Some of y'all still figuring it out, and that's all right. I found my people. I like how Luke gives us a picture of the early church in the book of Acts. He paints this picture of a healthy Christian community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. He says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles formed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place. Sound familiar? They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. I love this picture. This church is a pastor's dream. By the way, you guys are a pastor's dream as well. Because we embody many of the qualities that's listed here, but I, I just spent a few seconds teasing out the elements. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Now notice what he did. He didn't say they devoted themselves to the apostles. That's an important distinction. They rallied around the teachings of the apostles and not personality. Don't rally around me. I can go out and get hit by a pie truck tomorrow. Don't rally around me. Don't build this thing on me. The apostles' teachings. What were they teaching? Christ crucified, resurrected, reigning. Kingdom invitation to come and lose your life so that you might gain it. What were they teaching? They were teaching Christ. They were opening the scriptures. And that was accompanied by powerful demonstrations of the Spirit's power, and they rallied around that. What else were they doing? They were sharing their stuff. They were having meals together. They were meeting together, wasting time together, rubbing off on one another as a healthy Christian community does. 
They worshiped together. Another part in Acts, it says they were consumed with awe because of what God was doing among them by the Spirit's power, but what they witnessed among the people. Their people. Christian community. And this is why this is the one thing that runs through my life. You can't tell my story. You can't go two, three minutes into my story without, without some kind of church thing coming up because that's what God has used to shape me, to sustain me. Now I know this isn't everybody's story, but for the believer, the Christian community should be an integral part woven into your story because every leg of my journey, there was a community like this there. Help me figure out which way was up. Tell me find myself when I was losing myself to say the hard things, the truth, season with grace, every leg of my journey. Now, none of these two churches, no, no, no two churches were alike. They were dissimilar in just about every measurable way, except for the fact that they centered the person and word of Christ. And some of you are here because you found your people. And what God is doing through this group has revolutionized your life. Others of you are just here today and you're just sort of kicking the tires. You say, preacher, that sounds good, but I don't know yet. Somebody had their hands up. Somebody was wailing during worship. I don't quite know if this is the spot for me just yet. That's okay. And we know this church isn't for everybody. But my prayer is that you find your people. Third and final thing I see that we gain as we lean into the essential Christian community is that we gain perspective. And this, I don't think, is maybe the most important one, but it's my favorite one at the moment. We gain perspective. And this is important because most of the time, when left to myself, I don't see what I need to see. Particularly, I don't see what I need to see, how I need to see it. I don't see God right when left to myself. I don't see myself right when left to myself. I don't see others and often don't treat others right when left to myself. I don't see my circumstances and the situations that visit my life. I don't see them right. I don't see them well when left to myself and I don't see the world around me properly if left to myself. And one of the beautiful things about Christian community one of the beautiful things about the local church is that through that local church, we can gain perspective. We can see things. We can see ourselves. We can see God the way that we're supposed to see him. I love this psalm, Psalm chapter 73. If you've been hanging around for any length of time, you know this is one of my favorite texts. It had to come up in my one thing sermon. Psalm chapter 73, verse 1, the psalmist says, Truly God is good to Israel, 
to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Verse 13, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day. Every morning brings me pain. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Verse 21, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up on the inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. He's talking to the Lord, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My heart, my health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. This, among other things, is a demonstration that nothing can get you quite right like an experience and an encounter with the living God. How many of you just been absolutely beside yourself, tripping in every meaningful way, and you didn't, you weren't, you weren't hungry, you didn't need a snack, you didn't need anything else but to experience God, and it just so happens is that what that's what we measure in here. Our God, our job isn't to, to sing you happy, although we hope you get happy after we sing. My job isn't to preach you happy, although I hope you're reasonably happy after I'm done. But our job, if you boil it down, is to facilitate an encounter with the living God. If anybody asks you, what are they up to down there at the vineyard? What, 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 are, what are they doing down there? You can tell them they're trying their level best to facilitate an encounter between you and the living God. Psalmist Asaph is having a full-blown crisis of faith. The wicked around him are prospering, and he can't make sense of it. And he's not just having a bad day. It's a full-blown crisis of faith. He said, my feet were always, almost sleeping, and that's kind of just a nice way to say what they would also say in the Baptist church and in the, the full gospel churches. He was backsliding. He was losing his religion. The circumstances of his life was so, had him so twisted that he was wondering if God was even good. He was wondering if all the things he had kept himself from and all of his devotion to God was even worth it because he didn't seem to be getting ahead in life. And meanwhile, the fat cats who don't care a thing about the Lord seem to be living their best lives. He was having a crisis of faith. And so maybe your crisis had nothing to do with a wicked prospering, although some of you might be like, hey, that's my issue today. Others of you might be dealing with a financial struggle, struggle, or something happening in the life of your children, or your vocation, or with your spouse, or maybe your singleness is 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 it's got you bothered, or maybe your marriedness has got you bothered. Maybe the besetting sins and the consequences that have come to bear on your life as uh, what you got you at a crisis point, feeling hopeless. 
depressed, and you don't know which way is up. Maybe that's you can identify with the, with the psalmist. What I'm, I'm so grateful for verse 17. He says, then I went where? To the bar. Then I went to hang out with my good time buddies. Then I just binged Netflix because I just wanted to disappear into somebody else's store. No, then I went to your sanctuary, oh God. I went to worship. I went to the place of grace. I went to the, the house of help where I might meet with the living God. And he discovers, I don't have time to read it, he discovers so much about himself, he discovers so much about the wicked who he was preoccupied with, and he learns so much about God. What did he gain when he went to worship? He gained a different perspective. He gained heaven's vantage about himself, about what was bothering him, and more importantly, about God. He was able to see that the wicked don't, don't, don't prosper. He saw that his heart was bitter and that he had contributed to some of this madness. But ultimately he discovered, verse 26, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And you gain this perspective, among other things, when you come to worship. When you come to the place where everything they're doing all week long is trying to facilitate what? An encounter with the true and living God. Some of you said, preacher, I need perspective. I'm beside myself. I don't know which way is up. And frankly, you've been avoiding worship. You've been avoiding an encounter with the living God. And I would just ask you with all sincerity, how, how's that working out for you? How's it going? But one of the uniquely beautiful things that I've experienced my whole life, is God has provided helpful, necessary perspective in the place of worship. And worship team, you can come up as I land the plane. I'm already over my time. Some of you, what you need most is to find purpose. to figure out why you're here, or to put it more plainly, to agree with God as to why you're here. Others of you, you would say that you connect with that need to find community, to find your people, who would just sort of be in the trenches of life with you. Because some of you, your story is the exact opposite of my story. You haven't, your life hasn't had the benefit of a faithful, for you, community of believers. Where you can find purpose and find your people and gain perspective. And so you say, I so want that. And I believe that the Lord is highlighting to you today through my story. But this is what he set before you. 
whether in this church or in a church down the street, or if you're visiting from out of town, wherever city you're in, that the Lord has set before you one of his greatest tools to get you where he wants you to be. His goodness is displayed to you through the family of faith. And I'm glad our students are in here today because I want to close by saying this to you. You know, this is really important. And I try to tell your parents all the time that the worst thing they can do is to trivialize what we do here. Is to take for granted what we do here. Is to take a sporadic approach to leaning in here. Because I would, students, that when you decide to go off to university, among the things that you investigate about where you're going is do they have a church there that I could plug into? Because so much of what God has for you to steady your life and to help you to figure out which way is up and what you're on this earth to do and who really are your people and, and to see the world right, he will provide for you in the context of Christian community. And I would that anybody, if you had to relocate for a job, if you got to buy a new house, if you got to move to a different city, among the things that you would investigate is, where are we going to go to church? You know, I'm biased about this community. I think we got the best thing going. Don't let that leave the room. But we aren't the only show in town. We're just one of the ways that God is providing a place so people can belong before they believe or belong while they believe. And I would love, love, love for you to walk away today having a new value for what we have here. Having a new value for what God has placed here for you. It's my one thing. It runs through my whole life. It doesn't matter if you're 50, 40, 30, and you're re-engaging or you're engaging it for the first time. I believe the Lord wants to station a healthy Christian community in your life so that you can find yourself on purpose and on mission, so that you can find your people, and so you can see your world and the world around you from heaven's vantage. Who wants that? Who wants more of that? So as we close and sing about the goodness of God, I want you to consider the ways that God has been good to you, faithful to you, and how much of that is tied to what we experience here.